Hi, and welcome to the Get Real Show, brought to you by Keystone Partners Group, the show that strips away the myth and the mystery surrounding success in the real estate industry. Today, we are joined by two very special guests, Josh and Jen McKnight. Uh, Josh and Jen run the Josh and Jen McKnight team, headquartered in Horsham, Pennsylvania. And not only are they extremely successful at what they do in real estate sales, they've also been very effective at evolving their business over time to be successful in any market. So, um, Josh, Jen, I'd like to really thank you for, for both being thank here you. with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's an honor. Appreciate an honor. it. So tell me, tell me about your business. Uh, give, the, give our audience a little bit of background about what your business looks like today. Okay. Well, we are a husband and wife team. My wife, Jennifer, and I are the rainmakers of the team. Mm -hmm. We also have a buyer specialist who works with us and two full-time admin, uh, an executive administrator and a transaction coordinator that helps us with the back-end office work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, tell me about the, the volume of production that you and your team are doing uh, in 2016. 2016, we're at about 100 units right now through mm -hmm. the, uh, wow. you know, we're at about mid-year now. Uh, we have a little bit to catch up to our goal. We made a goal of 220 units. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have to do a little bit more work here to make sure we're on target to hit that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really amazing. So uh, 200, you, so you think you'll hit 220? I think we will. Great. And what type of sales volume would that be? Uh, that would be 25 to 30 million. 25 to 30 million. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank That's you. That's great. Great. So, so, so tell me, how long have you personally been in the real estate business, Josh? Uh, 2003, I got licensed. Okay. okay. Um, my father was in the business with Century 21 down in Maryland. That's where we used to live. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was... 20 years old at the time. Wow. 20 years old. And when we got went through school and we got my license, and I thought it was a great transition to get into the business because my father was already doing it. Sure. You know, seeing him work it uh, when I was growing up, it, I just fell into place being able to get into the business. So mm. that's when I initially got licensed, and Jennifer got licensed with me at that time as well. Oh, so you were licensed together? Yep. So we both got licensed in 2003 together. and. Um, we're in Maryland until about 2008, and then we actually moved to Pennsylvania to be closer to my family. And I took mm -hmm. a little sabbatical to stay home with our kids. Mm -hmm. And then I got relicensed about two years ago, and but had been working in the background still through that time frame, doing some reporting and admin yeah. stuff for Josh. Yeah, so I never really stepped out of the business. I just stepped down as an agent and then stepped back up. 2008, right. you remember? Yeah, you know, sure. It was a great year for real estate. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> and it was a great year to move. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was. So so you were with another company in 2003, and when you moved up here, you switched to Keller Williams. Right. right. So 2003 to 2008, we were Century 21. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 2008. That's awesome. Forward till today, Keller Williams. Yeah. So tell me about how your business evolved between 2003. Did, did you kind of wake up 2003 with a brand new license and just start killing it immediately? Because you're 20 years old. I mean, tell me what that felt like to be 20 and immediately in real estate full time. Yeah. Um, I, at 20 years old, you really don't have much to lose. There's not a lot there in terms of, at least for me, maybe other people, but I didn't have a lot of responsibility at that time. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to get into the business, okay? Because I could live off of one settlement a month, right? Sure. Based yeah. on my budget back then. Um, I, I joined my father's team, okay? So it was, I guess what you would call it a traditional split is what he gave me. Sure. And I did listings and buying side, okay? And um, I did that till 2008 and when we broke off to moved up here, we started our own team. 
So how do you think that impacted your success, having a model like your dad, to be able to follow exactly what he did and, and have trust in, in the fact that he would want you to be successful or even more successful than, than him, right? Right. Well, my father was definitely a role model in the real estate business. Um, I took the good pieces of what he did and I also observed what not to do. Mm -hmm. So, and I learned from that, okay? I would see his struggles in certain aspects of the business and I, and, and taking a, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Sure. <laughs> and see, wow, he should have done this, this, and that. And, you know, maybe let's stay away from that area, okay? And also took, you know, he had great people skills. He could talk to people, mm -hmm. okay? And um, so those are kind of some of the things I took away from that. So you were, you were mostly focused on traditional resale in 2003? 2003. Well, we did a lot of, we did traditional, okay? Yeah. And we were also in the distressed market back, even back then. We, we okay. had dabbled in distressed and flipping properties. Um, so a lot of our marketing was geared towards, um, we, we did some we buy homes marketing, okay? Mm -hmm. We would go on the appointment, mm -hmm. all right? And we would, if, if the numbers worked, we would make an offer to buy the home, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And if, with the intent to either rent it out or flip it. Okay. And if the numbers didn't work, we were at the table. We turned it into a listing presentation. So mm -hmm. it worked very well for us. We got a lot of business that way. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. And Jim, what were you doing back then in 2003? Was it all, all admin? No, in 2003, I was a licensed agent. So I was, I was actually working another full-time job outside of real estate. What were you doing? Um, well, I worked for Yankee Candle for a long time, so management, retail management, and then I um, was a licensed optician okay. and worked worked in the real estate business at the same time. Um, I would say more on a part-time basis, and then I still kind of had you know more of the roles of, we had two kids at that time, so we had our first in 2003 and then another child in 2005. So, you know, he says, you know, <laughs> I laugh when he said only one <laughs> transaction a month, but coming from where we came from and like these little small jobs to that, I mean, it was a substantial um, increase in our income at that point. Mm -hmm. And then it was, I mean, it was easy. In 2003, everybody wanted to buy a house. Everybody was getting approved. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like people were just sure. coming to us. We didn't really have to do much work. Phones to, ringing off the hook. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have to do yeah. much work yeah. to, to get anything. And so, you know, I, I still did, the reason I did the, uh, you know, the odd jobs is because of insurance. Like we just needed some sort of benefits for our family. Sure. Um, but yeah, I was doing real estate then too, just on a lower scale than Josh. But still in the business, working with his dad as well on the same team and observing similar things. Sure, and you so. obviously you're you've got two kids. Yeah, two at, kids. at the time, how <laughs> many how time. many kids do you have now? Now we have four. Four. four okay, kids. let's get back to that because I'm sure that's a, that's <laughs> yeah. curious how you managed to to how old are they? I'm curious. Uh, our oldest is just turned 13, and then we have an 11 year old, and then we have twins that are. I'm going to be six next month. Six, six, 11, mm -hmm. and 13. That mm -hmm. sounds like a handful in addition to real estate. Yes. Absolutely. I'm sure our audience would be very interested in how you <laughs> Absolutely. <manage. laughs> it's, yeah. It's definitely a dynamic. Yeah. So what, what, what changed for you uh, in your business in, say, 2006, 2007, as you, as you started to notice the market shifting? Did you start to do something different? Did you evolve in some way? How did that look? Uh, 2006. I, I tried to erase it from my brain, Bob. Um, <laughs> we, we were we actually we were into a couple properties. Okay, so we we had about two or three projects going on at that time. Properties. Fix and flips. Fix and flips. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I know for at least one of them we got stung pretty bad. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two was able to sustain us through through the time that we decided we wanted to move. 
and 2008 to come up here. So 2007, we had the decision. You know, let's, Jen wanted to move to Pennsylvania to be closer to her family. Mm. And we decided to put all our eggs into that basket. So we, um, you know, we kept selling traditional, we, we, we had traditional sales at that time. Yeah. Right. We just had to adjust our budget and, um, you know, scrape by. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we moved and it was a whole different, it was, it was worse than where we were in Maryland because now we're in a new state. Yeah. No database, mm-hmm. no business whatsoever. Right. So what did you do? Started over. Started over, yeah. <laughs> what, does that look, what does that look like? Well, because starting over is, is a challenge for anyone. Yeah. So what did you focus on when you had to start over? Well, 2008, I focused, I focused on distressed sales, mm-hmm. okay? The market of the moment, mm-hmm. as, as um, I believe the MREA says, right? Deal with the market in the moment. So The millionaire real estate agent. The millionaire real estate agent. Sure. Yeah, so um, we were in that, okay, distressed properties. We did went after a lot of bank sales. Okay. Kind of some, maybe some people in our audience may not understand exactly what type of business that is. So why don't you explain a, a kind of a average transaction that you were looking at at those times as being a real part of your business? Okay. What so, all right. So as part of being a REO agent, real estate owned agent is what mm-hmm. they call, um, you would go after major accounts with, with banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, HUD. And uh, you would apply to be their agent to sell homes for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what that would look like is basically if the bank had any inventory to send you, they would ask you to be their listing agent. You'd mm-hmm. go to the house, and the price ranges varied from ten thousand up to could be a four five hundred thousand dollar house. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you basically you put it on the market for them, mm-hmm. and it would be a lot of admin heavy business. So uh, a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of computer work. So instead of and consumers, your clients are banks. Exactly. Yeah, that was one piece of it. No, we went after traditional sales as well. Sure. But, you know, I remember in, in the area, we didn't know anybody. I had to think of a quick way to make an income. And um, that's what we went after because it gives you a lot of volume yeah. and a lot of units. Right. If you, if you do it right. A lot of signs the, in the yard. A lot of signs in the yard. If you get the right account, it could it could multiply very quickly. So that's what I need to do. Not having a database. And in the meantime, while working in the bank business, we built up our database and it started getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And more and more traditional sales came as a result of that. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of research over the years about kind of the average behavioral profile of a top producing agent, mm-hmm. right? And, and largely that, that includes uh, being highly assertive and very social. Right. And naturally, you're really neither. You're, 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 <laughs> you know, you're, you're a very methodical, uh, detail-oriented guy who's very yeah. patient, very, very consistent. So, how did, how have you been able? How does that your behavioral profile play into the kind of business that you were doing with respect to real estate-owned? Well, if, on the bank side, it, it helps to be methodical when it comes to the back-end technology stuff that they want and the reports that they want, okay? Mm-hmm. Since then, I've leveraged that out to my team, mm-hmm. okay? And, uh, but, but it definitely helps being very analytical, especially if you're doing CMAs for the bank, comparative market analysis, so that they know. It, you're almost typing out an appraisal report. It's not an appraisal, because I don't, don't have an appraisal license, Yeah. but it just about is, because you're giving them all the data that an appraiser would give, okay? So, um, I think that that's it comes into play there. Now I can be assertive, on, especially on the traditional side, but when I go home at the end of the day, it it, it sort of goes away, and I can, yeah. you know, I don't get my energy from uh, going out to the bar, 
mm-hmm. with 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get my energy from sitting on a chair and reading a book. So, mm-hmm. I th- and I can be social during the day and when I need to be. It's just my natural tendency is to be, um, you know, by myself. Yeah. Or talk to one or two people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you said you leverage some of that administration out now. Um, how do the two of you run your day? I mean, how do you prioritize your time? What's in your top 20% in terms of effective work? Wow. So leverage, we try to leverage a lot of things out. Um, you know, we still do some of the bank owned business and we, and Josh had mentioned we have two on our staff. And so one of them handles our HUD accounts. One handles our Fannie Mae accounts. We mm-hmm. have a property runner now, does a lot of property visits for us. Does when pick, you say they handle them, they're handling the administration. The administration of side mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Right. You know, right. um, tons of emails coming through, you know, from those companies. That's how all the communication is. So if we sat in front of a, if we had to handle all the emails coming from them, we'd be in front of the computer all day. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be able to go on any listing appointments or show any houses. So for us, it was, you know, a matter of creative, you know, creative thinking and not having someone could do a traditional, you know, admin role, someone that's a little more outside of the box and, you know, a little flexible on, you know, what their job description is. And, and we added a property runner and that was a big thing for us too, because we were spending a lot of time driving in the car to visit the different houses, the bank stuff, and take pictures ourselves. And wow. yeah, so now sure. we have a all-in-one guy. He's a photographer. He's everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. but he's, he yeah, he's literally a photographer. Yeah. He does the property visits. and Yeah, absolutely. You know. So what do you put on your schedule first, Josh? <laughs> what, what goes on your schedule before anything else, the must-have, must-do stuff? Uh, in the morning, I, I wake up and... Um, Use the bathroom. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, try, to, for I try to get my body moving, you know. So yeah. that's going to the gym. Uh, with the weather being nice, I like to get out onto the, the, the trail, go for a jog, or at least go for a walk, just to get out into nature. Yeah. Um, with that, I do affirmations. I do visualization. Okay. Um, and, and then I come back to the house, uh, get the kids ready for school, drop them off to whether they're going to camp or school. And then in the office by nine o'clock. By nine. By nine o'clock. Tell me about the. What do you visualize in the morning while you're out in nature? What do you? What do you? Well, what do you do? What do you see? I, I, I just visualize my future self, right? Mm-hmm. So the goals that I have, uh, I, and I, I try to be vivid with it so that I can feel that maybe if it's a, if it's a, um, a luxury item we want, just kind of feel it in my my mind that I have mm-hmm. it. You know, if it's a nice car. Uh, visualize a bank statement with a lot of zeros behind it. You know, um, it could be visualizing an appointment that I have that day mm-hmm. that I want to go. You know, that I want it to be successful. Mm-hmm. So I see that in my head, and then I. Um, what does that do for you? It just makes you feel good. You know, yeah. it just makes you feel good. The kind of drive I would imagine it would create drive to accomplish that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once you once you get to work, what's um, what's top on the schedule there? Lead generation. Okay. And how does that look for you? Okay. So uh, for me, I, I open up my database. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I start with hot leads. Where do you go? You do it like, where do you, where do you actually lead generate? Oh, I have an office space with a stand-up desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually in our cubicle section of our office. It's kind of an open space right it's in the middle of the space, office, right? right? I've, I've seen that. Uh, my admin are in the back. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want them bothering me. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's funny. Just a side note. We'll go back to the bank stuff. The way I want my bank site, I, I, I've broken it up into two sides of the business, right? The bank stuff and the traditional. Mm-hmm. 
In terms of the bank stuff, there's houses I don't even see. I don't even want to. I joke around saying I'm the Wizard of Oz. For some <laughs> if an agent calls in, has a question, I don't exist. Handle it. Let's get it sold. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I oversee it, and I jump in when I have to. But they do a wonderful job of getting those properties settled, mm-hmm. and 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 then I convert the leads that come in. So right. Um, on a typical day, come in nine from nine to twelve. Okay, I'm in my cubicle section with a stand-up desk. I have my computer there, mm-hmm. and um, I put on a set of uh, headsets so I can make calls. And um, I just I start calling out hot leads, people we know in our database, doing follow-up calls. Okay, and I, I take breaks in between because I can't call for three hours straight. I have to take a bathroom break, get a drink, get a snack. Yeah. Um, so you lead generate for three hours? From 9 to 12. That's the goal. Like There's once a week? or From Monday through Friday, that's the goal. Monday through Friday, Monday 9 through to Friday 12. That's the goal. Yep. Uh, wow. <laughs> now <laughs> that's you will discipline. See, yeah, you will see that it is 10.30 now, and we're doing this in the morning. Yeah, so uh, except for when you're doing TV shows. Right, except for you know? when we're doing TV shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so there's always stuff that gets in the way, you know, but the important thing is to build that habit where if you don't do it, you just feel guilty about it, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. so if I was at home doing nothing, I'd, I'd feel like hell because I wasn't doing my job. Hmm. I get it. So what would you think is top on, on your list, Jen? What's the most important thing that you usually schedule once you get to the office? Um, I would say the same thing as Josh. I mean, I don't. I know I personally don't usually do the three hours of lead generation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I have a little bit more of an abridged day because of the kids. Yeah. So sometimes I'm running a little bit late getting them in there or I have to leave by a certain time to pick the kids up or be home to get the bus. Yeah. Um, so I try to shorten my lead gen a little bit. But the same things, um, you know, come in, do your lead follow-up with the hot leads, mm-hmm. um, any leads that mm-hmm. came in, um, and then go back to the database, you know, calling your sphere of influence, um, you know, a lot of people from our, you know, a lot of people from our church that we've done a lot of business with, and just friends and family, you know, or referrals from them. You know, we, fo- you know, making sure I follow up with them to make sure that we don't lose, you know, we don't want to lose any any clients or, you know, you know, we've built this relationship with them where they, you know, know we're going to be accountable to a certain level, and that we want to make sure that we follow through with that. So, so if you guys were to to say maybe a percentage of business that you do with people that you've already done business with that are either repeat business or referral business, um, what about what percentage of, of your business is that? If we're talking units, it's different from units in a volume perspective. If we're talking units, I'd say it's probably 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, volume, could it's probably higher, more like 40%. Okay. Right. Uh, only because of the, the bank stuff is tends to be lower, a lower end price property. Range. Yeah. Okay. As to whereas if we get a referral, it could be a three four hundred thousand dollar house mm-hmm. that they sell and they buy a new one. Mm-hmm. So that's probably 10, 10 properties if I were selling them on the bank side. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's why we broke that up into two different businesses. You know, working with my coach, we really divided those pieces of the business separately so that we could keep an eye on it and make sure. When we come in, our daily activities are geared towards increasing the traditional business. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, I mean, the, the market shifts. I mean, we, we're in a, a, a real world environment where things go up and things go down all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen the market when it was strong. You've seen the market when it was weak. Uh, I would imagine you're, you're, you assume the market is strong today. I, yeah, I do. I and do believe the market's very strong. Right safe now. to assume someday it'll be weak. <laughs> very yeah. safe to assume. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how how 
do you what do you think about preparation for those shifts? How do you how do you deal with that from a mindset perspective and from a practical perspective of being prepared for those shifts in the market and, and whatever shift might be coming up? Okay, so practically speaking, keeping an eye on our with my coach, keeping an eye on our profit and loss statement. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have a weekly report. I make sure that our numbers stay. I like to look at the pending GCI number, gross commission income, mm-hmm. to make sure that hovers around the, a range that I like. Okay, and that shows me what money's coming in in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I keep an eye on that. Um, and your other side of that question was I was just looking looking at how you prepare for future shifts in the market. Um, I mean, so you're looking at P- your P&L statement, you're looking at pending income, but how do you look at long-term, longer-term shifts? I think like, it's being dynamic. Um, you know, I think we have, our business is very, it's a lot of facets to it. You know, we have the bank side and then we have the, the retail side. So, you know, we don't want to rely on the bank side because we don't know what's going to happen in sure. the shift. You know, right. that could go away or that could get stronger and that would be great. You know, that's kind mm-hmm. of running in the background constantly, but by focusing on, you know, you know, the continual re, you know, retail side of things with the, the sphere of influence, yeah. I think it gives us yeah. a kind of an edge, I feel. So I, I have the mindset of when the shift comes, it's just a great opportunity to gain more uh, market share because yeah. agents will start drawing away from the business, okay? And that's a great opportunity for higher teams. And I, and I do think 10, 15 years from now, the market industry is going to be dominated by mega agent teams, mm-hmm. okay, that are going to... Already kind of moving in that direction. I mean, we are. You see it now, but it, it, more so 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be very dominant. Yeah. Okay. And, I, and curiously, I think you're in a really amazing position where you've got two business models that work separately, but synergistically that you can shift energy from one to the other yeah. based on the market, right? Which I think is really, really cool. Absolutely. It's great, I, you know, not having your egg, all your eggs in one basket. It's a very scary thing. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to if you're doing a lot of bank stuff. You know, you've heard about REO agents who are doing nothing but REO, and I feel bad for them because they don't have the skills. They don't have the salesmanship skills, and, or they don't want to build a database that's going to sustain a long-term hmm. business for them. So. You know, they're a shift away from maybe the bank yeah. getting when, fired. When the market right? goes strong, that business starts to become difficult yeah. to, to find. And, and I didn't want to run it that way. Yeah. Our goal is traditional sales, right? That's what we coach on. And the bank side is it's a separate entity mm-hmm. that we do good at. It's just it's not where all of our focus lies. Right so your now. base is relationship. Based. Relationship, absolutely. And you augment that mm-hmm. with work through bank. Bank work. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago about a P&L statement. And right. I think it's fascinating that such a large percentage of realtors don't understand financials. What do you think that the average agent's relationship is with financials? Mm. Oh, I got a check. Let me deposit it and spend it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think that would be the average because you know, they don't teach you in real estate school. Um, I never heard until uh, until maybe a few years in the business. They don't teach you how to save for taxes, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so you put in, you get a commission check. You got to put a money away for taxes because they're not taking that out of your check. It's not your money, See, right? It's, it's not your money. <laughs> it's the government's money, and they're they can coming. spend it wherever the hell they want to, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And, and that's a 
that's it for a different video. So but, were, uh, were, you, were you always financially oriented with respect to a P&L and things like that? Or was that something that evolved over time? It evolved over time. Yeah. Absolutely. How did that work? What, what, what was the shift that, that caused you to start thinking about that and then acting on that? Mm. I think when we got to the end of the year and we needed, we had a lot of money that was due for taxes and we really didn't have all that saved. I think it was a reality check. It was like, you yeah. know. Yeah, the first few like, years of the business was like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you're I not think, alone there because I experienced the same thing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of agents do, right? Right. So were, was some, did somebody help you with that? I mean, did you, or did you just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to whip up a P&L or did somebody <laughs> no, help um, you with that? Um, well, you do the, Bob, you do the financial mastery course in our market centers. Mm -hmm. And that was a tremendous help. Okay. It's, uh, before then, I was already saved for taxes, but you had taught us maybe we should save, you know, have a, a, a bucket account too, where mm -hmm. we put extra money towards it. Mm -hmm. So we started doing that. Uh, through coaching, they teach us how to generate a profit and loss statement. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't do it myself. That's something I, I leverage that out as well. I have an outside company that handles my P&L statement for is me. A, is that a bookkeeper and a kind of accounting service? Based, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And pay a small fee, $125 a month. They handle all the financials, send me a report, and it's based off the millionaire real estate agent numbers. Okay, so you get a nice graph, shows you where you are and where you should be mm -hmm. based on the model. Okay. They, they, can they do your taxes too? Or you have one? They one couldn't do your taxes. I have somebody else, have somebody else in, do in that? Pennsylvania do my taxes, but they could do it if you wanted them to for an added fee. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people that that make the shift from being sales oriented to business, being business oriented, do that with help. I mean, it's it's hard to do that um, without yeah. some kind of guidance. And you mentioned a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about that. Who who is your coach, and and what's your experience and kind of history with with coaching? Okay. So right now I'm in maps coaching on the mastery level. My my coach is Steve Cow. He's mm -hmm. out of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, MAPS is Ma Mega Agent Productivity Systems. Right. It's a Keller Williams uh, MAPS division. Right. Uh, Keller Williams Coach Division. Specific for Mega Agents and, and leadership, I think, right? Well, uh, really anybody who wants to take their business to the next level. Mm. Okay. okay. You could get you licensed today and join Mastery Coaching. Right? Awesome. If you had the guts to do it. And there are people that do that. There are people mm -hmm. that do that. Yeah. If you had the guts to take that on, it, there's no doubt about it. It would help your business. So did you start day one or, or was there some kind of limiting belief that was in your head that said, oh, I don't know if I'm ready yet? Yeah, there, well, there was a limiting belief, you know, and, and it, it always boils down to the finances, mm -hmm. right? Um, you, you're sending a coach $1,000 a month. You, you, you're not really sure if you're going to receive that return back. Sure. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's a big commitment. Okay. And, and then coming to Keller Williams, it just changed your mindset totally. Mm -hmm. So pre-Keller Williams, I was... I can't spend this money. Mm -hmm. Post Keller Williams, or joining Keller Williams and being in the company now, knowing having the, you need the education and you need the accountability mm -hmm. has really helped with that. Yeah. Um, tell me what you thought about that, Jen. When, when you both thought about saying, hmm, let's start writing a check for a thousand bucks a month for a, a coach. It was a little hard. It was a hard pill to swallow because I was still kind of doing the admin stuff because that was in Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. I was here, but I wasn't selling real estate at that time. So when Josh came to me and he had been doing some smaller level coaching prior to that, you know, less yeah. expensive, but it's, a, you know, it's over a certain amount of money. We usually have a conversation. How is this going to affect us? You know, what, you know, how's this going to affect our future? Like, yes, it's going to cost more money now, but what's good, what's it going to do for us at the end of the year? What's it going to do for us two months from now when mm -hmm. we have this higher level of accountability? Mm -hmm. So we really just, you know, looked at all the aspects and the pros and cons and figured out, you know what, 
if you try it and we feel like in a couple months it wasn't a good fit, then you know we've they you've only lost a few thousand dollars. It's yeah. not a big loss sure. versus the other side is you do this and how many more transactions can we have in that time frame? You know how many more tens of thousands of dollars you know hmm. could come in in that time frame that we could have missed out on because we didn't take yeah. this opportunity. So there's an opportunity cost associated with not having a coach. There is absolutely, absolutely. I would say which is so. likely probably what people don't see. No, you yeah. don't see it. There's no way to calculate it, really. Right. So how, how how long have you been coached? You're in your third year of mastery. Mastery coaching three years. Uh, I was in a prior organization with that for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in productivity level coaching at the market center level, which mm-hmm. is within the market center right. for the year before that. So, so five years total. So wow. So just just considering your association with Maps, you've been there for thirty six months. Obviously, you're getting a return on investment, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't do that, what do you think the opportunity cost might have been? Uh, like I said, there's no way to know. Yeah. You know, there's no way to know. Uh, my business, we our business has gone up year after year. What was your business when you started coaching at that level? What was your maybe volume in units? Uh, t- uh, Ten million. Ten million. Yeah. And your your volume in units, your volume now is twenty five to thirty. Right. So threefold increase in three years. Right. Yeah, I think that works. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thirty six thousand dollars invested. But return you know, of it's. it's yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny. tens Coach, of thousands of dollars. You know, your, your coaches, they're going to help you. They're going to guide you, but they're not going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to help you to realize these are the things I need to do. And, and if you get a great coach, they're going to hold you accountable to doing those things. Wow. Absolutely. Cool. And we spend, I, I know I spend a lot of money on self-development mm-hmm. and coaching would be one of those plus some of the other things that I do to help with, with my mind and, and, and help me to get my mental state straight. What are, what are those things? I mean, I think, you know, as, as most people might, might guess, um, well, the I'm mental a, game is yeah. 90% of yeah. the game, right? So how do, you, how do you keep your mind where it needs to be to be maximally effective? Yeah. Well, What's that personal development look like? Well, I love to walk on fire. I know you do too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we do Tony Robbins events. Mm-hmm. Okay. How we, many have you done? Two. Oh, cool. Two. And plus his coaching, his audio tapes, his books. I just soak that stuff in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sort of have an automobile university. Like Zig Ziglar, <laughs> used, Zig Ziglar used to call it automobile university. So I'd throw in a Tony Robbins tape. Uh, I'd listen to my audible in the car. Whatever I could do using that travel time as leverage to, to learn something new. What are, you, what are your three uh, favorite books when it comes to... Ref- to, to Letting somebody else know what they should be listening to. Say a new agent comes to you and say, wow, what books can I read to, to shift my mindset for the better? What would you suggest? Uh, Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Mm-hmm. That would be specifically for a real estate business. Yeah. And uh, probably Awaken the Giant Within. Awaken the Giant Within. How about you, Jen? you have any I've, favorites? I'd probably also add The Miracle Morning. The Miracle Morning? Yeah. yeah. That's Hal, Hal Elrod's book. Yeah. And I, you know, I agree with the, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. I think, you know, I think those are key. But I think that, you know, if you're starting and whether you're doing real estate or not, the miracle morning is just to, to kind of get your day started the right way. And, you know, even if it's small, little, small little things you're doing over time, it's going to have a big impact. And that's how to set up morning rituals. Yeah, morning correct? rituals. It's meditation. It's um, exercise. It's, you know, just helps you really to, to get your day, like to get yourself together. I mean, it's that time to take yourself, time that you take for yourself in the morning that most people don't do mm. to kind of just 
get your act together. Rather than leap out of bed, drink a cup of coffee, and run for the car, you're actually yeah. taking time to take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, my favorite time because it's 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 me time. Okay. I love my kids, but I need some me time as well. Yeah. yeah. And that morning time before everybody wakes up is just for me. What if you don't get it? Mm. I mean, at your level of production, if you're not taking care of yourself in that way, what's the impact of that on your business? Could be huge. I mean, I think I, I definitely feel when I don't get up and I don't start my day the way I want to do it. Mm -hmm. You definitely feel a difference when you're at the office. Okay? Mm -hmm. You're just you're you're tired. You're lethargic, and you miss something. It's like your lead gen calls. If I don't do some form of reaching out to somebody to try to get business, it's like you. It, I felt unemployed that day. It just doesn't <laughs> feel good for me. Yeah. Now I think it feels like you know your whole day is wasted. I mean. You know, you just feel off course the whole day and you can't really reel yourself back mm -hmm. in. It's hard, you know, when you don't start off right. And at 30 million, you can't really afford the time to feel off course, can you? No. Uh, it, it can't beat ourselves up too much, but a majority of the time you need to be on your game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so you have three people on your team now. The two of you plus three other people on your team, two admins and a buyer specialist. Yeah, two admins, a buyer specialist. Plus we're, also, we're also training one person now. He's going through a, an ISA role to become a buyer specialist. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he just started with the team back in May. An ISA role meaning? Uh, inside sales. Well, he's a buyer. We're hiring him on as, to be a buyer specialist, but part of his training is to do inside sales calls. Okay. okay yeah. So he's making outbound calls every morning from 9 to 12, 9 to 1. Just kind of breaking in that rhythm of, hey, I got to lead generate every day. And I thought, hey, this is a great way to test somebody out to see if they're going to do well. Well, what, what are some of the things that you're doing now in your personal life that you probably couldn't even do if you didn't have leverage? Mm. Took what? a nice vacation in Mexico yeah, we a couple <laughs> weeks ago with <laughs> our did. kids and we didn't have to, you know, yeah. do, that was nice. you know, we did bring our laptops with, but we really didn't have to do mm -hmm. much of anything that the whole trip. Well, I mean, ours, we were just a week yeah, there, but nice. a week is a week. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. Weeks a week of very little, no, nobody bothered us for anything. And Team I think, handled it. I think sometimes people look at that and say, wow, 200 units, how do you take like a minute off yeah. versus a week? And, and that can only happen through leverage. leverage. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you, when you decided to moved to Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. right? You already had five years in the real estate business-ish, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you have a checklist? Uh, you know, when you, you ended up with a, with our our group, Keystone Partners Group, how did that happen? What was on the checklist that you were looking for in a company that you said, okay, this is where we want to kind of hang our hat? Sure. Um, I was, like I said, it was with Century 21 down in Maryland. Um, you know, it's funny. I went to a, uh, a few settlements down there with uh, Keller Weems' offices. Mm -hmm. okay, and I can't remember the lady's name now. She probably wishes she remembered me because, you know, because of the sponsorship opportunities we <laughs> yeah, have within the business. Sure. But she didn't follow up, and, and I forgot her name. But uh, I, I just always, you know, you went in there. People were friendly. You would see the calendar on the board. It would be just filled with different education opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And by then, I had already been reading the MREA book. Um, see, when did that come out exactly? 2005? Um, yeah, probably right, right okay. little, maybe a little before that, maybe okay. 2003. So I was given that book as a gift from a lender and I was reading it, consuming it. And um, so moving up here, the shift was easy. Uh, I just went to the Keller Weems office in Horsham. Mm -hmm. You know, we moved to Ambler. It was about a 10 minute drive to the closest Keller Weems office. 
mm-hmm. went in there, signed my paperwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, what... was, there was no, uh, you know, conversion moment. Really. <laughs> and it made it probably made it easier moving into a whole different area. Okay. Yeah. But uh, there was no uh, Saul the Paul moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, how do you see your relationship with, with Keystone Partners Group? Okay. Is, uh, that, is that more of a customer relationship, client relationship, partnership relationship? How do you, you view it? I would view it as a, a partnership relationship, mm-hmm. okay? Because uh, KBG presents a lot of opportunities for the agents within their, their offices, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of networking opportunities, educational, uh, continuing ed, and just ways to get better, you know? And, and there's a lot of high caliber agents that you can mastermind with within those offices. Hmm. And, and KPG certainly brings the game. Yeah. Comes that. How does that how does that look when you talk about masterminding and collaboration? How important is that to you as mega agents that you have the ability to openly and authentically collaborate with other mega agents? I think it's really important. I feel you know it's it's a unique opportunity where um, you know other companies you might feel like someone's you know you, everything has to be a secret. You know, there's no yeah. secret to our business. Right. We follow a business model that tells us what to do, and everyone else is doing the same thing, maybe just tweaking it slightly for their area, their industry. But, you know, we don't feel like we can't talk to other mega agents and that you could always grow from them. I feel like there's opportunity to go back and forth information they could give you that you might not be doing and that could help improve your business and the other way around. I mean, but it's not competition. So you're not scared no. of sharing your stuff? Never. No. Never share, share. <laughs> And that's a, cult, that's a culture thing, Bob. Yeah. I could call anybody within the company, KPG or outside of KPG in, in another market center, and ask for their opinion. Mm-hmm. And they willingly share it. That's just the culture of the KW system hmm. and the type of agents that we bring in. Um, hmm. You know, I've been, in, I've seen other offices and they are hush hush. Some of the top producers do not want to tell you what they do, although you probably know what they do. I mean, it's, it's no secret. Hmm. We all do the same thing, we sell houses. So, but uh, it's just a culture thing, and you could definitely feel it when you get into a KW Market Center. Sure. Now, you have experienced trainings as a new agent, I'm sure. Do you reciprocate now that you're successful agents and, and train other people? Yeah, absolutely. We get approached probably every week for someone to shadow us for something, you know, an open house, buyer consultation. Um, even the people that we, you know, work on our team, we want to make sure that, you know, that they're mimicking our customer service experience that we want to give people. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, by, you know, by giving, you're receiving. And, you know, I think even in the, the REO HUD market, you know, we give, we act, you know, we treat the other agents with the, the respect that we would want to be treated with. And I think by doing so, you know, our agents call us back, they kind of confide in us. And I feel like really, um, you know, as far as not converting them, but, you know, the agents kind of see what our culture is about and see what our team is about. And we've had, you know, a few agents now come to Keller Williams purely based off of having a co-op with us and mm-hmm. yeah. the way that we've treated the the, um, the transaction yeah. with them and the, them as an agent. Yeah. yeah, that's a great testimony when you have an agent reach out to you three years after a transaction wow, and yeah. ask you about the company because about they it. remember <laughs> the transaction they had with you and how mm-hmm. much you helped them in that. Mm-hmm. It's just awesome testimony and, and one of my favorite stories to tell when it comes around the profit share. Yeah, yeah. So, you, and Jen, you just said something that I found uh, was was really really interesting. Uh, that sometimes the people on your own team shadow you um, so that they can mimic the service that you provide. How important is that? That the people that work 
with your team members kind of have a, a common experience or a similar experience as though they were working with you. Oh, it's extremely important that we all share the same value proposition, that we all, you know, we have the same, we play by the same rules, you know, that, so if I had a client who I wasn't available to maybe show a house to or to get some documents signed, that if I sent somebody else on our team, that the expectation is that they would deliver the same service that I would have provided to them and that it would be, you know, they wouldn't be at a loss, that they wouldn't be upset that they weren't working directly with me, that someone mm. else could do exactly what I did. Wow. And the same level of service. I imagine that plays out in referrals too. Absolutely. I mean, if someone has an experience with your team and then refers you business, which is, of course, what you're, what you're working toward. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, the expectations, you know, that they would same, receive the exact same service, that there's, you know, it's, you know, monotony, it's the same thing, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same and getting the same mm -hmm. results, you know, not the definition of insanity opposite to that. But sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, when we ask for referrals from our customers, clients, family and friends, they have a certain, you know, they're, they're at ease knowing that if they sent us somebody they love or they, they one of their friends, that we would take care of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the reputation you have to build up that, hey, if I'm going to tell you to use a certain plumber, I hope that plumber does a great job. Right, and it translates very well into real estate industry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, when I ask for a referral, it's because I feel that I have earned it, based on the service that I've provided or the value that I give to somebody in the real estate space. And they should know, and they should feel confident knowing that we're going to be able to take care of whoever they send our way. Yeah, and monotonous in the context of great customer service is a good thing, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Sure. So when when you think about um, how you want people to perceive your team, the general mm -hmm. public. What are some of the things you want people to believe about you and your team? Honest. Honest? Honesty is a good one. Uh, you know, I have this vision that we're going to be able to create content, right? Digital content, whether it's blog posts, videos that I send out, mm -hmm. and just to be that go-to source for real estate information in our area. Okay, mm -hmm. So if somebody has a real estate need, they know who to call. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we're top of mind, sort of like a top of mind brand awareness type mm -hmm. thing. Um, even it would even translate well if they need a referral for a service provider. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to provide that to them, knowing that we've vetted that person and that they've done a good job with other clients in the past. So you want to be known as the expert that's honest that can also refer people to to great vendors if yeah. need be. What yeah. else? When people say, wow, I just experienced this with the people on your team and it's awesome, what, what other blank would you want to fill in there? Well, I think trustworthy. I think, um, you know, somebody that's hardworking, you know, a good negotiator, you know, all, you know, different qualities of, I think, you know, what you'd want, what you'd expect in a real estate agent, you know, someone that's good at communicating. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you don't want them to have to wait to have to call you for information. You always want to be giving them and letting them know this is what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. You know, someone that's on top of things, you know, knows what's going to happen, knows how to, um, you know, navigate if there is an issue and, you know, in such a way that they don't even know that there's an issue, you know, that you've taken care of it. It's in the background. Mm -hmm. What would you want to avoid? I mean, is, would there be a description that you really would want to avoid people believing about, about you or your, your team? And that maybe even you've worked purposefully to make sure that that never yeah. happens. Yeah. My biggest thing is if, if we're going to make a promise or a value proposition, we need to deliver on that. So mm -hmm. if we tell you we're going to make communication a regular thing based on 
that client's specific needs and wants in that area? Because we'll ask them, how do you want to be communicated with? How often do you want to be communicated with? Mm -hmm. What kind of information do you want in that communication? And and for us not to deliver on that, I think, is a is a big mistake. Okay? Yeah, Because sure. that loses the truth. We keep saying we've said the word trust two or three times or honesty two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to build that trust level as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we don't deliver on a particular piece of uh, something that we told them we were going to do, I don't want a team like that. Yeah. I want to be able to. Which is kind of an integrity um, issue, right? Absolutely. It's like the 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 connection between what we say we're going to do and what we actually do would be would be integrity, which mm-hmm. yes yeah, is, is very very powerful. Absolutely. To, to have with your clients, I'm sure. Absolutely. Hmm. So, as you become more and more successful in your business. How do you ensure that your production and your profitability in business translates to the success you want in your personal life and getting the things you really want for your family and your community and yourselves? Yeah, it's, it's, it's as you get busier in the real estate business, it, it, get, it can get complicated handling your personal life, okay? Because mm-hmm. your schedule gets built out, right? A lot. Sure. So, um, you know, important thing for us is to, to be on the same page, to know what we each want. Uh, Jennifer likes to travel. I'm starting to get the travel bug as well, <laughs> okay, based on the experiences she's shared with me. And that's important for us to be able to have the freedom to, to go away somewhere. Um, our kids are a big part of our life, obviously, as it should be for anybody's. Um, but having four kids, we need to be able to schedule time out for each one of them individually and together. Sure. Okay, you have the sports, you have school activities. You know, you should see our Google Calendar. It's like a, a <laughs> crown explosion. There's colors everywhere. It's incredible. Um, but managing that is a big key, okay? So we want to be home no later than 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening unless we have appointments that night, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be home for them, take care of them. So yeah. that uh, – and time, time's flying. I know it's a cliche, but they're getting big so fast. And, yeah. and the worst nightmare is waking up one day and saying our last – you know, the, the twins, they're six now, mm-hmm. going off to college and saying, you know what? I don't remember a lot of moments, you know? And it's mm-hmm. the moments in life. You know, We're not going to remember everything. We're just going to remember those little moments, Yeah, I think. I do believe that when when our time has come and, and we're ready to leave this earth, mm-hmm. it's the moments we're going to remember. And, and I want to build out those moments together as a family. Yeah. And start now. Starting out, <laughs> and I know you've been engaged uh, some of Keystone Partners Group's programs with respect to personal finance. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how's your mindset changed over time as you started to look at your personal finance and, and create new strategies for that? Tell me about that. Sure. So mindset-wise, we know we need to build horizontal income, and when I say horizontal income, uh, some people use the term mailbox money, right? Mm-hmm. Acquiring assets that provide an income for you. While you're sleeping, hmm. okay, mm-hmm. not like a boat or a horse. You know, <laughs> horses eat while you sleep. If you buy a piece of rental property or mm-hmm. a business, it can generate an income for you. So that's a mindset shift that we've had over the years, with being with KPG and other top uh, agents in the industry, networking and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that's a key. Um, it doesn't have to be overnight, but always have the mindset of I need to acquire wealth generating pieces of business, real estate, whatever it may be, that will sustain a lifestyle. If I were to stop working today, uh, the goal would be to have enough in, uh, horizontal income to provide an income for my family based on our personal 
needs and our personal finances. Whether you're working or not. Whether we're working or not. Right. Yeah. You think anybody's capable of doing that? Anybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's the difference between people that do and people that don't, in your opinion? Whether they think they can or they think they can. Mm. Whether they think they can or think they can't, they're right. They're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's about uh, belief. It's, mm -hmm. it's absolutely Mindset. about belief. Limiting or un unlimiting belief. Mm -hmm. and, and I imagine a certain level of knowledge and, and habit forming. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the habits that you think make the difference between someone who not only makes money in the real estate practice but starts to create wealth on the personal side as well? Okay, a big habit, and it's a simple one, is to take 10% or more, if you can swing it, 10% or more of your each check you get and put it away into an investment bucket, mm -hmm. right? Wow. And this way, when if an opportunity comes along, whether you're actively looking or not, you can jump on it, okay? It may be a partnership with a piece of real estate property, a multi-unit building, uh, buying ownerships into a company. You need to have income to be able to take an opportunity with that, okay? Yes. Um, that's one of the things. Um, <clears throat> looking out for opportunities, networking mm -hmm. with other professionals, people who have the same mindset as you, you know, surrounding yourself with people who have the same goal in mind financially to better themselves, take mm -hmm. themselves to a higher level. That's yeah. a big key as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being around the right people. Absolutely. You're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. Yeah. Heard that a couple of times from a number of people and that I've interviewed uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, mm. That network is so very important. Absolutely. Right. So very important. Um, what do you see happening in, in your business in the future? Where, where does your business go? What's your vision for that? Oh, my vi vision, uh, both of us share the same vision for expansion opportunities, okay? So we build this big, humongous hub at, at our market center level mm -hmm. and an admin team that can handle maybe an extra uh, transactions if we were to get an agent into a different market center, mm -hmm. right? So they have this, the big thing in the industry now, at least within our company, is called expansion systems orientation, mm -hmm. where you have a central hub, people that are making outbound calls, uh, taking inbound calls, and you have agents scattered throughout the region or throughout the country for that matter, but everything gets centrally located into the one uh, business center mm -hmm. where it gets handled, and they sort of support each agent out there. So it's almost like opening another real estate company in a different area, okay? But you have the models to be able to sustain that. Companies within companies. Companies mm -hmm. within companies, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the two of you are mid-30s. mid, mid -30s. Yeah, I'm 34. 34? Yeah. I'm not mid-30 yet. Mid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. I am mid thirty. And then, so, where do you think your business can go? How how big could it be in terms of volume, in terms of units, in terms of people in your structure that yeah. would you would be able to leverage yourself through? If I gave you a number, I'd be limiting my thinking. Okay, yeah. um, because you could take it really as far as you want to. How you far know, do like, you want to? Well, my five-year business plan is, is fifty million in volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. so to take it to fifty million, but in that fifty million, just not not having anything to do with the day-to-day -day business dealings. Okay, to be leveraged out of leveraged the day-to-day -day working of buyers yeah. and sellers doing fifty million in volume. Absolutely. So you're going to have Jen do all the buyers and sellers. Right? He thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good luck staying in with we've the We've been working out that dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. So as you. Um, as you get closer and closer to that vision, you achieve that vision. I have no doubt you will. Uh, you're exceptionally talented people, very forward-thinking, very adaptable, very flexible. As you achieve that, um, 
what do you want to be remembered for? Kind of what, what would you like to be your legacy to your community, your family, to the world? That's a heavy question. Yeah. Very heavy I want to get question. real about that one. Yeah. So uh, we're very involved in our church. Mm-hmm. You know, you know um, I do have a, a, one of my large visions, whether it would come true or not, would be able to provide another building for the church. You know, the one we're in now, we don't own. It's owned by the uh, Presbytery of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sort of like represents some handcuffs in, in, in some form or fashion in terms of what you're able to do. So mm-hmm. uh, being able to provide a, a new building or buy that one out would be, hey, if I could write the check to do that. An amazing legacy. It would be, it would be amazing, absolutely. Yeah. Change the lives of a lot of people. Absolutely. Uh, my children, I want my children to, to take something when I'm gone, to have something to pass down to them that they can continue on with. Mm-hmm. Okay, and whether that be wisdom, knowledge, or finances, you know, just I want to be able to create something for them that mm-hmm. they would have. Okay, how about you? How how does your life change over the years as you get closer and closer to that vision? What are some of the things on your bucket list that are a little bit out there that you're saying, "Wow, we're going to do that" as we get uh, um, get well, toward that? You know, one of the things I've I've had in my mind. And it's probably been for the last two months is creating a um, nonprofit charity, okay? And and I, I I think I really have a big passion on teaching kids, especially underprivileged children, maybe from urban areas. We talked about it earlier, the mindset issue, okay? Mm-hmm. So going and providing education to them about uh, financial aspects, how to run their day to day lives. I think that's a big component that we are missing in certain neighborhoods of this, you know, in this state, in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, it could just be common, like being a mentor for some of these children, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not getting it. Maybe they're getting it home. Maybe they're not. Chances are they're not in some of these towns. So uh, coming in, teaching them how to run their day-to-day lives, and just knowing that they can create whatever they want if they put their mind to it. You know, that that's that's something I have in my background. In terms of, of creating. It's another powerful legacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. How about uh, you, Jen? I think the same, you know, I, I know Josh and I had had this conversation that kind of stemmed from, you know, you don't have to be the first one to create something. There's a team in Maryland that has, um, you know, a kids program where they're giving back to the community. And I, I mentioned it to Josh a while back and I said, like, I don't see why this is something, I don't see why we can't do something like this here because no one else is doing it. And you know, it's certainly something that comes very naturally to us to want to give back to our community, to give to our church. Um, you know, that was one of the biggest turning points for us, I think, is when we started tithing more was, you know, you feel like you don't have, when you don't not have, when you don't have much money, you feel like it's hard to give. But I think the more we gave, the more we received. So I think it was, you know, taking that step, that leap out. And now I think we're at a point where we feel like we can give even more. Absolutely. So why not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very, awesome. very big principles, giving away 10% of your income. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not going to give a dime out of a dollar, you're not going to give a hundred thousand out of a million. So start start small and build up that muscle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a big big thing. That's amazing. Any last minute words for our uh, our, our uh, audience as we as we part? Maybe to those people that might have just done their first million in real estate and are 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 thinking, "Gee, what do I do mm-hmm. to to work smarter, not harder?" What would be your Thoughts on where they should start to work smarter, not harder. Um, I would get the one thing, read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller, mm-hmm. and really start practicing the principles in that book. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so time block your lead generation time in, um, and then get a coach. Get a coach. Coaching's big, okay, because coaching's going to help you to see things that you don't see and open up the possibilities of, of what you can do in your life and in your business. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jen? Want to add to that? Yeah, I, I do think, um, you know, I think taking care of yourself and your family first, like making sure that you have your priorities in the right place, you know, not always, not all about business. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what, you know, drives your family, that's great, but you need to make sure that you're taking the time to enjoy what's right in front of you and in the moment and because it's only going to be there for a moment. So That's awesome. I can't tell you how exciting it's been to spend time with you today. Um, I know that our audience is going to be very, very happy with some of the things that you shared with them. I know there's a lot of valuable insights there. And um, uh, thank you so much for being with us on the thank show Thank you today. so much for having me. Thanks, Bob. Um, thank you. And I want to invite our, um, our audience to come back for future episodes of The Get Real Show, where we'll strip away those myths and mysteries and get to the bottom line and get real about how to be successful in real estate.